0: We are looking at John chapter 17, and John chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer. And uh, I'm going to be covering um, verses 6 through 19. Now, in this high priestly prayer, there there are three parts, okay? So verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. And from verses uh, 20 through um, the end of the chapter, he prays for the church as a whole. Now, the reason that this has been called the high priestly prayer is uh, in the 1600s, there was this... Uh, uh, Lutheran theologian David, uh, Chitrine. And, and one of the things that, that he noted is that when you take a look at Leviticus chapter 16, let's take a quick look there. Leviticus chapter 16. And, um, let's take a look, um, well, start with verse 15. When he slaughters the male goat for the people's sin, sin offerings, and brings its blood inside the curtain, he will do the same thing with its blood as he did with the bull's blood. He is to sprinkle against the mercy seat and in front of it. He will make atonement for the most holy place in this way for all their impurities because of the Israelites' impurities and rebellious acts. He will do the same for the tent of meeting that remains among them because it's surrounded by their impurities. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the most holy place until he leaves after and he has made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole assembly of Israel. And see, what you have in this prayer in John 17 is Jesus knows his time is short. In fact, one of the things that you see in chapter 18, you see betrayal. So it's, it's all going to go downhill quickly after this. And Jesus knows what time it is. So he is giving, well, he's preparing for the atonement. And so he starts off this chapter with a prayer for himself. He then gives a prayer for the disciples, which are as close to his family as he's going to get on this earth. And then he has a prayer for the rest of the community, the the church. All in preparation for the atonement. Now, you know, um, last week, our pastor Bill did the first part of this, this sermon. So, you know, I'm going to be doing the second part. And, you know, somebody, whether it's uh, Bill or Jeff, you know, will be, which one? Are you, are, okay, it's going to be Bill. He's going to be doing the third part. Yeah, so I guess it's a, sort of a Craig sandwich, you know, with uh, <laughs> Bill in the front, and me in the middle, and Bill in the front. Of me. <laughs> so, um, in any case... This prayer has been co- this prayer has been called a prayer, a profession, and a revelation. There's a lot in this prayer, the high priestly prayer, and um, and when you look at section part two, there's three parts to it. Okay, so the first part is verses six through nine, and in this first part, Christ gives the reason. For, for this prayer. The second part. That first part is verses 6 through 9. And then from 9 through 11. The second part. Christ prays that they may be kept in God. And out of the clutches of the evil one. And the last part. Um, verses 17 through 19. Is a prayer of It's about their consecration. So let's take a look at this, okay? Um, John 17, verse 6. I have revealed your name to the people that you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you, that they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. And I'm glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them to the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may be sanctified by the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with us as... As, as we look at your word, and, and Lord, I pray that we would all hear it clearly so that, so that we might live in a way that glorifies your holiness. Lord, help us to draw closer to you. Help us to be the people that you'd have us to be. Help us to love what you love. Help us to hate what you hate. Lord, guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's take a look at verse 6. I have revealed your name, the people that you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, you know, one of the things about uh, verse 6 is it, it really kind of is a summary for all of the first part of of uh, this this first section here. Because, you know, one of the things that he, he, he deals with is... Uh, well, the the fact that that he has revealed God's name to them, that God gave them to him, and that they have kept His word, and he, you know, goes into this more in depth. And, and I, one of the things I, I'd like to look at here is he starts off by saying, "I have revealed your name." Now you know. When you look throughout the Old Testament, you know, God has has a number of names. And those are all, all of those things tell us things about God. But there's more to his name than just the descriptors. Than just things that are adjectives that describe who he is or his character. Because his name, well, his presence is tied up in his name. Let's take a look at a few things. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Let's go to verse 7. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. See, God's presence is tied up in his name. God's character is tied up in his name. And to disrespect his name in any way Is to show great disrespect to God himself. Now you know. If you say you know. You know Craig is a jerk. You know I'll probably agree with you. You know. But you need to be careful about what you say. And what you think about our God. Now he is full of grace. And he is full of mercy. You know Because. Many is a sinner who has abused his name, who repent, and God saved. But that does not, we should presume. You and I should know better. And we should hold his name high. Now, let's take a look at some other examples of this. Let's turn to Exodus, this time to chapter 23. Let's go to verse 20. I am going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place that I have prepared. Be attentive to him and listen to him. Do not defy him, because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion, for my name is in him. Clearly, what we're talking about here is the angel of the Lord, okay? But there's more. So, let's go to Psalm chapter 20. Oh, let's go to Second Samuel first. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And let's go to verse 1. David again assembled all the fit young men in Israel, 30,000. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal, Judah, the ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of armies or hosts, who is enthroned between the cherubim. He's called the name. In in many many of your translations, you'll see that name is capitalized. In fact, you know, there's enough places throughout the scripture where, in the Old Testament, where he's called the name. Okay? Let's look uh, now at Psalms chapter 20, verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of Jacob's God protect you. Let's now go to Isaiah chapter 30. And let's go to verse 27. Look there, the Lord is coming from far away, his anger burning and heavy with smoke. His lips are full of fury, and his tongue is like a consuming fire. His breath is like an overflowing torrent that rises to the neck. He comes to sift the nations in a sieve uh, in a sieve of destruction to put a bridle on the jaws of the people uh, who lead them astray. Well, let's see. I may have missed this one. Okay, so yeah, I guess it must be this this translation. Okay. Um, but yeah, the thing is, you see this emphasis or this relating of God to His name. Okay, and so when when you get to John chapter seventeen, and verse six, he says. I have revealed your name to the people that you gave me. To reveal his name means that he has introduced you to who he is. Now, it may also be said that, you know, he did introduce the name of God as Father, and that's not to be dismissed because it is a significant descriptor of who our God is. But he is more than his descriptors. He is more than all these adjectives to describe things about him. He is a God beyond our comprehension. And his name and his presence are tied together. Okay? So he says, I have revealed your name to the people that you gave me. From the world. Now, you know, the last time uh, I preached was in November, right before the election, and uh, we were looking at John chapter 8, and we were looking at the way that John uses this word world. You know, so I did a little bit of research, and so, you know, um, he uses this word cosmos more than anybody else in the New Testament. In fact, um, one of the things that you'll find that is in the Gospel of John, he uses this word cosmos 78 times, okay? He also uses it 22 times in 1 John. He uses it one time in 2 John, and he uses it seven times in the Revelation. Now, one of the interesting things is, is that this word cosmos, you know, it means System. It means order. Okay. You know, like a cosmetologist is uh, a person who puts a woman's face in order. <laughs> I mean, r- really, that's 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 what it means. Um. Yeah. I got your back. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the truth. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, so, so you know, um, but it's talking about that there's this order. There's a system. And one of the ways that John uses this word cosmos is it's a system that is in rebellion to God. Now, sometimes he refers to it as, you know, the physical world, the place where we're located. But a lot of times, what he's talking about is this this system that is hostile to God's will, to God's direction, to God's nature, to God's purpose. And one of the things he says here, and and, and interestingly enough, just in this section alone, okay, uh, verses 6 through 19, he uses the word cosmos ten times. I mean, yeah, he... He focuses on this idea. A lot. And he says, I have, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. You know, um, before you and I came to Christ, we were from the world. Before you and I came to Christ, we were at war with God. Oh, we might not uh, actually thought so, but that was what our spiritual state was like. And here's the thing: in His great love, in His great mercy, He chose you, and you, and you. And me, He chose us. He saved us from our rebellion, from our stupidity, from our sinfulness. He saved us from death. He saved us from hell. He chose us. Let's take a look at John chapter 15. And in verse 16. He's he's pretty blunt about it. He says. You did not choose me. But I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit. That your fruit should remain. So that whatever you ask the father in my name. He will give you. So. So. Father gave you and me to him. And, you know, even though he is he, he's really addressing the disciples here, yeah, there's a lot of application to you and to me, okay? He says, they were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. You know, I was telling my Sunday school class this morning that, you know, God's word will do the work if we'll just trust it. Uh, I I remember um, when I was a seminary professor telling students that, look, if you don't think that you can preach the word God well and you have to, then just read the word of God when you get in the pulpit and it'll take care of things itself. I had one of my students um, uh, came back almost the next week. His pastor got sick, called him, said, hey, I need you to fill in for me this morning. And he remembered what I said. And he got in the pulpit Red word of God and two people got saved. It'll do the work. I, I, before I, be, before I be, be went to seminary, I was a member of Gideon's International. And you know, I'm a firm believer in the power of the Word of God to change people's hearts to change people's lives. And so I was a member of the Gideons International, and one of, one of the great things that we would do is we'd get every month, we'd get this magazine called The Gideon. And in this magazine would be testimonies of people who got a Gideon New Testament or went to a hotel and got a Gideon's Bible while they were there. And God used that, he used his word to change their heart, to change their lives. Now, you know, other things, if you keep his word, it'll keep you. Plain and simple. You know, the best thing that you can do for your Christian life, it's just to read God's word, and you know, that doesn't mean that it's always going to be understandable. Because you know, hey, there's a lot of history, there's a lot of language, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff there. But His, He works through His word like nothing is. And he, one of the reasons that He's praying for these men is that they kept. His word. What does that mean? Number one, they knew his word. Number two, they did what it said. Folks, if you're reading God's word, that is a great and important thing. But if you don't do what it says... What's wrong with you? He gave you his word to give you the power to live righteously. Verse 7. Now they know that everything you've given is from you because I've given them the words you gave me. Once again, focus on the word. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. And this is one of the things that become clear every time you spend time in his word. Because, see, the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament, it all points to one person, Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Starting the the second part here. Um, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me. Because they are yours. So he's praying for his disciples. Just as he prays for you and for me. But he's not praying from the, for the world. Why? See, the world and the people of God are in conflict. The world, well... The world comes up with all kind of crazy ideas that are just simply opposed to God. And you're either with him or you're with the world. Let's take a look at James chapter 4. Now let's go to verse to chapter James 4. Let's start with verse 1. What is the source of wars and fight among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. Do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is what? Hostility with God. Folks, it's it's just as simple. Either you go with the world or you go with God. And sooner or later, we're all going to find ourselves having to make a decision. You know, um, how many of you have read uh, The Pilgrim's Progress? A few of you. Let me just strongly recommend that if you have not read it, that you do so. It will bless your soul. One of the things that happens is that Christian, you know, he, you know, he's reading the word of God, and he becomes convinced that the, the town that he is in is doomed, and everybody in it is doomed. And and he remembers a guy, Evangelist, you know, and, and he's asked ev- Evangelist, what, what should I do? And he says, see yon wicked gate. And he points him to him the way of salvation. And he runs there. And he's supposed to go to the refiner's house. And when he gets into the refiner's house, one of the things that he sees is this picture of evangelist. And and Bunyan describes this picture of evangelist as, as a man with a few good books in one hand. And... He's got a tear in his eye. And he has a posture as if pleading with men. And his beck is to the world. Folks, I would hope that that could be said of all of us. That our back is to the world. We are pleading with men to come to Christ. That we read the kind of stuff that motivates us to follow Him just that much closer. So, John chapter 17, verse 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me because they are yours. Do you belong to him? If you belong to him, you need to be in his word. And you need to be with his people. You yeah. Plain and simple. You got one burning coal. It lasts only so long by itself. You put burning coals together. Guess what? It lasts a lot longer. I, 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 I'll tell you. You know, um, last year. Yes, I want to spend a lot of time by myself, you know, because, you know, COVID and everything. And, you know, that was okay. But you know what I miss more than, more than anything else? It's being with God's people. And folks, if you don't miss being with God's people, something is wrong with you. He says, everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. Plain and simple. If you belong to Christ... You will try to glorify him in your life. Trying to glorify him affects what you say. It affects what you do. It affects how you do it. It affects how you relate to people. Which only reminds me, uh, I, I still need a lot of work but I imagine you do too. Verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Now, we're entering... um. Well, no, we're still in the second part here. But, but, but here's the thing, folks. He knows his time is short. And he is trying to prepare them. Because they are in the world, but they're not of the world. And that's how we have to be. We are in this physical world. That does not mean that you and I are supposed to be of this world. You and I need to think differently about things. You and I need to live differently about things. Here's the sad truth of the matter, folks. I firmly believe that one of the reasons that the church has lost a lot of its evangelistic power is that for too many people in the church today, we don't live any differently than anybody else. We are called to be salt. We are called to be light. Instead, All too often, believers in the church today, they, well, they live just like the lost. How are they supposed to be convicted if we're living, talking, thinking like they do? I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me so that we that they may be one. Yeah, you know, once again, it's this idea of unity in the spirit. If you belong to him, well, one of the things that should just happen is that you, we should be loving each other. Let's turn to First John chapter First um, John chapter five. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what the love of God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who's been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. He wants us to be one. He wants us to have unity in his word, in his faith, in love. Verse 12. Well, I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, whom the scripture uh, is lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. And and there's a number of prophecies, you know, concerning um, Judas, like um, Psalms 41, verse 9, and Psalms 109, verse 8, that talk about, you know, being betrayed, about uh, leaving his office and having another fillet, that sort of thing. But, you know, the important thing here is not so much Judas's situation. It is that he is keeping you and me. Let's turn to John chapter 10. Let's go to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you belong to him, he's going to keep you. Through all the trials, through all the storms, he's going to keep you. And you know what? You can't jump out of his hand. You and I belong to him. And he's holding on to us. If that ain't a reason thankful for, I, I don't know what is. Verse 13. Now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Now, you know, let's take a look at John chapter 12. Let's look at verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who's he talking about here, folks? You know, I, I, I kind of feel like that, that Sunday school teacher, you know, and, and she's, she's saying, okay, um, and she's saying to the kids, uh, you know, um, what, what, what is what is a little animal with a cotton tail and long ears and eats rabbits and, and, and one kid says to another, you know, it sounds like a bunny rabbit, but I know the answer is Jesus. Well, in this case, the answer is Satan. You know, the obvious answer, okay? So here's the thing. If he's the Lord of this world, and you belong to Christ, it should be no surprise that he hates you if you're a living Christ. In fact, one of, one of the most fascinating parts of the, the Pilgrim's progress is the part where Pilgrim is, uh, is walking along the, 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 the king's highway to heaven. And out comes Satan. And he says, hey, don't you know that this land is mine? Don't you know that you're one of my citizens? And you're, you're, you're leaving me? Basically, the battle begins. It's on. And Bunyan, you know, goes on to describe this battle, and he talks about how Christian holds on because he's wearing the armor of God. He's using the shield of faith. He's using the sword of the spirit. He's using the word of God. Folks, there is no substitute. So, goes on and says, I'm not praying that you should take them out of the world, but that you should protect them from the evil one. Satan is going to attack you In me. If you are faithful. Just get ready for it. And he's not going to do it just once. He's going to come. He's going to keep on coming. He's going to do whatever he can. To discourage you. And you need. To hold on. Keep. Marching forward. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So now we're in the last part, the third part. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, you know... um, My Ph.D. is in philosophy, and, you know, one of the things that um, I had to cover in all my classes was this idea of truth, and there are a number of theories of truth, okay? So there's what's called the correspondence theory of truth that says that truth is based on reality. I think that that's what most of us subscribe to, and rightfully so. But there is another theory of truth called the coherence theory of truth. And what the coherence theory of truth says, well, you know, truth really all boils down to not having any contradictions. Well, to a degree, that can be useful. But, but you know, when I say that Batman is Bruce Wayne, is that truth? Well, in a correspondence sense, it is truth, okay? Because within that story, that's a consistent thing. But you know the problem with it? It has no reality to it. Then there's the pragmatic theory of truth. Pragmatic theory of truth says, well, truth is what works for me. Well, here's the thing. A lot of times, certain things can appear to be right. But appearance and reality are not the same thing. And appearance and truth are often not the same thing. Now, you know, there are other theories of truth, but the line is this. God's word is truth because it is tied to this reality that our God, the creator, made. This is why you live in accordance with his word. You're going to be blessed because he created all of reality and his word matches that reality. It gives us the path. It gives us the road, it gives us the light. And you know something? The rest of the world, well they buy into all kind of nonsense, all kind of craziness. but if you are following his word, you are sanctified. You know what the word "sanctified means? It means that you are set. Apart. And we are set apart if we read his word and we do what it says. It says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He set us apart to be lights because the world is dark. He set us apart so that we can go seek and help save the lost. I sanctify them for... I sanctify... Myself for them, so that they may be sanctified by the truth. Folks, he is his word. He is his name. He is the way, the truth, the life. So here's the question. Do you belong to Him? And if you belong to Him, are you reading His Word? And if you're reading His Word, are you doing what it says? Now, you know, I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you. And, you know, you can fool me and I can fool you. But we can't fool God. And if you do not know him today, now is the time of salvation. And I encourage you to meet with me or or Pastor Bill or or, our elders or our deacons. We've got great men of God here. Be glad to show you the truth of God's word and salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you. For your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you Lord. That you chose us. We thank you for the atonement. That you paid it all for us. Lord help us to glorify your holy name. In all that we say. In all that we do. Lord guide us. These things in Jesus name we pray. Amen.